I just begin by asking you this question. What is the purpose of human history? Does history as we know it, as we're in it right now, point to anything definite? I think there's people over the years that clearly have revealed their lack of understanding. In Shakespeare's Macbeth, Macbeth said this, he said that the line is, life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Sound and fury signifying nothing. You may feel that every signal of the news clip, nothing. You may feel that way as you watch some of the news clips even this day. French philosopher, a man by the name of Andre uh, Moroy, said of the existence of life. He said, the universe is indifferent. Who created it? Why are we on this puny mud heap spinning in infinite space. He went on to say, I have not the slightest idea, and I am convinced that no one else has the least idea. I think the statement reflects the pessimism of our own day that we live in. Theologian John Lennon, actually not a theologian, you know that. He sang and penned, remember the song, you could probably recite it, some of you. He's a real... Nowhere man, cited some of you. He's a real nowhere man living in a nowhere land, making all of his nowhere plans for nobody. Lennon went on to say, sing, doesn't have a point of view, uh, knows not where he's going to. Isn't he a bit like you and me? That was his song. Another man who was a president by the last name of Clark in his inaugural address at Cambridge University said this about history, quote, there is no secret and no plan in history to be discovered. He said, I do not believe that any future consummation could make sense of the irrationalism of the preceding ages, end of quote very much reads like a statement today where people are rewriting history. In fact, some would love to take the history out of books. In fact, I read of one account in the last couple weeks where you maybe have seen that, that two plus two does not equal four. And uh, they're trying to reclassify the gender, writing books to reclassify the gender of your children in elementary school. And here is the president of Cambridge University saying that there's no plan in history to be discovered. Listen, beloved, on the authority of the word of God, there is a consummation of history. In fact, the focal point of history is found in the person of Jesus Christ. I want you to open your Bible this morning to the book of Ephesians Ephesians chapter 1, as we point to the summation of all history. 
Now, we've been studying in these last weeks together, as you know, in chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Remember, I said that's all one paragraph in the Greek language. It must be one of the longest sentences in the Word of God, 202 uh, words, if you will, in the Greek language without a period placed to it. It's all one sentence. It's clause after clause after dependent clause after clause. The theme of which this paragraph is found in verse 3, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly God who blessed us with out of blessing us blessed be God who blessed us with every spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus and you might ask what are those blessings well the rest of the paragraph in verse 4 through 14 unfolds that there's many blessings here i've chosen to put them around that relationship of the triune god that god the father is the one who elects us in verse 4 through 6. That looks to the past. God the Son is the one, and we spoke of that last week as well, who redeems us. That's a present truth. And I said it, and then here's the language. We have present tense. Read. Then here's the language. We have present tense redemption. So certainly though he redeemed us nearly 2,000 years ago on his work on the cross, The son's redemption is put in a present truth because we've experienced that, I trust, this morning, even in worship. And then finally, the Holy Spirit seals us. And the Holy Spirit in verse 13 and 14 looks to the future. In fact, in verse 12, it says, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So all of the triune God, last couple of weeks, the Father's, Now, having seen in the past couple of weeks the Father's plan in eternity past, Paul is presenting in verses 7 through 12 the person of Jesus Christ. What role does the second person of the Trinity have in these blessings? And what Paul does, the best way that I could organize it, is give us, does Christ, three incredible blessings. He gives us his redemption. That's what we looked at last week, the forgiveness of sins. Secondly, the Lord Jesus Christ gives us his revelation. That's the consummation of history. And thirdly, we'll get that one next week. He gives us his reward. He speaks of a future inheritance at his redemption. Now, from looking last week, if you will, at his redemption to this week, his revelation It is the consummation of history. It is God's saving purposes planned from all eternity that has as its final goal the uniting of all things in heaven and in earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And the details that uh, follow will spell that out for us. Look at the text and let me just read the text for you in verse 7 through 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And here's where we come. It says, making known to us the mystery of his will, 
according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. May God bless his scripture. Paul reveals to us the mystery summation of all history. So let's look at this summation of all history. So let's look at this revelation. And I'll just put it and unpack it this way. There's a revelation of his mystery, okay? And then secondly, there's a purpose of that revelation. But let's look at first the revelation of the mystery. The revelation of the mystery. Look at verse 9. Point your eyes down there. It says there, after he lavished his grace upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. The first thing that sticks out here under the revelation of the mystery is what you think of mystery. You're thinking, uh, you have to understand when you think of a mystery, you're thinking maybe about something that needs to be discovered. Maybe you're thinking about some kind of riddle that needs to be unfolded. But here, mystery is not something mysterious. Here in the, in the language, the word for mystery is not something even that's difficult and that you have to scramble and solve the problem. Here, it, it's not even something that's difficult to under- making known to us the mystery of his will, making known to us the mystery of his will. A mystery biblically is something hidden, is something concealed. Maybe the best way is it's something that's kept secret and it's undiscoverable by human reason. And here the thought is, is that prior to being revealed by Paul in the word of God, God's design for his church was hidden. His plan was concealed. His plan, if you will, was a mystery. It was kept secret. In fact, mystery is used 21 times in Paul's letters, predominantly used to speak of a revelation, if you will, previously hidden, but now revealed by God. In other words, it's something that's been made known. It's something that has been given to us by revelation, if you will, by God. I think it's interesting when you look at the word, and you can read this on your own. In Daniel chapter 2, a mystery refers to the secret plan of God that Nebuchadnezzar had seen in a dream. But only Daniel could explain uh, that because God had imparted to him a revelation given to Daniel to interpret that dream. The dream actually was a revelation of God's redemptive plan all the way till the end of the age. In fact, when it would speak of when God would raise up the Messiah, establish his future kingdom that would last forever. And similarly, in the New Testament, Paul here unfolds the redemptive plan of God for all history. Now, certainly, you'd have to say that the mystery includes election, which we've spoken at, spoken of. It includes predestination. Certainly, it includes redemption. It includes forgiveness. Something more about his grace, yes, but there's 
something more about the mystery. So what is the mystery? Well, just look in your Bible in Ephesians chapter 3. He's going to unpack this in a far greater way down the road, but let me identify what it is. In Ephesians chapter 3, he talks there in verse 2 of the, the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. He's an apostle. How the, here's our word, mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. And when you read this, you can perceive my insight into, now here it's called the mystery of Christ, which was not made known, right, because it's a mystery, as it has now been revealed to the generations, as it has now been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit of God. One of the things you'll note that when something is revealed, it's not revealed, you know, just to people in general. Here it's revealed, as it says there, to those holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. Watch this, verse 6. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now you just have to know that when that statement was penned and when that statement was read, it would have Gentiles, verse 6, are to think that Gentiles, verse 6, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel would have been shocking to them. I mean, the Gentiles couldn't even get up to the higher steps of the temple. They were considered, if you will, the dregs of the world. And here this mystery is revealed. You say, but Scott, it spoke of the the gospel being a light to the nations. Yes, it did in the Old Testament. But never had it been revealed here that they are fellow heirs of Jesus. Let me even just say so that I can point even back to Christ Jesus. Let me even just say so that I can point even back to the doctrine of election. Even Paul's purpose in the doctrine of election isn't just to reveal what he did for you individually. It is that. But it's to tell the Gentile people that they're not just an appendix as part of the plan of God that has been added on. The Gentiles, and he had you in his mind before the foundation of the world. You're part of God's plan. That's here the mystery that's been revealed. In fact, look at verse 7 of this gospel. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. The very least of all the saints, this grace was given to, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages, uh, it says, in God who created all things and so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Listen, as I preach, the angels are looking on as to the meaning of the scripture. In fact, he's given, if you will, the church Verse 9, to contain the truth, if you will, and it speaks of the manifest wisdom of God that's being known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So what is the mystery? Well, it's Jew and Gentiles together. 
Let me show you something else. Look over in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, it speaks of the mystery there. He's talking, as you know, about the relationship between the husband and the wife. And he says in verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and shall hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he says in verse 32, This mystery is profound. And you're thinking he's talking about the one flesh union of the husband and wife. He says in 32, I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So beloved, you're in on this. He has made known, if you will, by revelation, the mystery to us here. Not only the mystery of Jew and Gentile together, but the mystery of Christ and the church. But there's another place. Look over in Ephesians 6, 19, and we'll get these to these again. Remember after he's saying in 18, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and perseverance. To, to that end, keep alert with all per- perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim He says there, the mystery of the gospel. What a statement. And so it's the Jew and Gentile together. It's the mystery of Christ and the church. And in that sense, it's the unfolding drama of revelation of the mystery of the gospel. If you will, turn in your Bible just for a moment. I just want to show you this to the book of Colossians. The language is very similar in Colossians. And again, I'm just illustrating biblically the revelation of the mystery. What is the mystery? It's also seen in Colossians 1 in verse 24. I love this text. When Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction, 124. For the sake of the body, that is the church. And then he starts talking about the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. And look at what he says. The mystery, there it is, hidden for ages and generations, but now God chose to make known how great to them, the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so he says, in him we proclaim warning every man and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So there again is the mystery, hidden for ages, but now revealed to the saints. Let me just say this to you. You are a special group of people. Not just our church, but anybody who's in Christ, who is a saint, you have been given understanding that mystery that was hidden, that mystery that was not revealed. In fact, it's known through the holy apostles and the prophets. In fact, it says in Romans, I don't know if this one comes up on the screen. I think I I may have taken this out. There it is. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to... Here's similar words to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of 
faith. And so there's the mystery. What is it? It's the relationship of Jew and Gentile. It's the relationship of Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's the mystery of the gospel that's been revealed. Now look back in Ephesians just for a moment. You'll notice there that he says, made known, and then he says this in 1.9, to us, the mystery. And obviously, it's those who have received Jesus Christ, those who are recipients of his grace and peace in verse 2, those who have been chosen in him, those who have been predestined, redeemed, and forgiven. Now, look at the statement in verse 9, according to his purpose. That idea there, according to his purpose, in one translation, it says, according to the good pleasure of his will. In other words, he made known the mystery of his will to us according to his purpose. It's not the first time that we've seen that. Back up in chapter 1-5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. This he did according to the purpose of his will. It's used in verse 9. He made known the mystery of us, of his will to us, according to his purpose. Glance down at chapter 1, verse 11. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, same thought as verse 5, according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his will. So here what Paul is saying is that before God made the heavens and before God made the earth, God purposed, according to his own pleasure, a purpose for all the ages. Now, look down into the text again. That purpose he set forth in Christ. What what did he set forth? Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time. What, What is he doing in that plan? Look at verse 10. To unite all things in him, the thought would be to sum up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. He developed a plan. In other words, election. He developed predestination in his purpose. And now he's developed a plan. And he's developed a plan for the end of the ages. So here's first the revelation of the mystery now revealed, made known. Let me bring you to secondly, the purpose of the revelation. The purpose of the revelation. Look at the beginning of verse 10. This is fascinating to me. As a plan for the fullness of time. That word there, plan, is a fascinating one. It's oika. Nomion, and it, and it just speaks of God arranging is the thought. God administrating all things toward a consummation in the person of Christ. In other words, when you think of the character of God, I had the privilege to speak at a manual high school in their chapel. They're doing a series on the character of God. It was a joy. to to be with them. God has character and he has attributes. In some ways, here's one of them. 
When you think of God, he's elected. When you think of God, he's predestined. When you think of God in Christ, he's redeeming. When you think of God in Christ, he's forgiving. When you think of God, he's lavishing his grace on you. But I want to be super clear to you. God has a plan. God is orchestrating all the events of history. God is administering all the things that take place to be consummated in the... Now, it's interesting will of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting here. If you look down at verse 10, it's a plan for the fullness of times. And I have to explain what that means. I think when I say the fullness of time, certainly Galatians speaks of the fullness of time. But there's different Greek words that speak of time. In Galatians 4.4, when it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Chronological time, in the fullness of time, at the day, chronological time, in the fullness of time, at that time nearly 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came in history. It was the fullness of time, chronos. Here though, in Ephesians, it's not chronos. It says as a plan for the fullness of time, times there is kairos. And kairos is emphasizing a series of epics, a series of events. And when you see that time there, kairos, and one over the unfolding events, over the unfolding events of different historical periods, and when history has run its course, Christ will be overall, is what he's saying. But I think there's something more here than just the time is when Christ is born. Just as time was ripe for his first coming, there is something far more reaching is this, is that all things will reach their consummation in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You say, you say in what sense, Pastor? Well, look at it again in verse 10. Just follow the text. I mean, it's inspired. God's got a plan. It's running to, when it's ripe, not at his birth, but at his second coming. It's the fullness of time. And when you get to that time, verse 10, Jesus Christ, or God as a plan, will, will unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. You say, well, has this happened Has all things been united in Christ? I would say a bit yes and a bit no. You say, how was it fulfilled? Well, look over at the end of Ephesians 1.20. There's a sense that this has been fulfilled in 1.20 of Ephesians. When he worked in Christ, when it says there, when he raised him from the dead, he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. He's there now. He's at the right hand of the Father by virtue of his death, by virtue of his burial, by virtue of his resurrection, by virtue of his ascension into glory. His work in that sense is finished. He's at the right hand in 120 in the heavenly places. Look at 121. He's far above all rule. 
right now. All authority, all power, and dominion, not only in this age, but also here. Not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he, God, put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So there's a reality of that now. He's redeemed us. Chapter 2, he's given us his peace. Right now, he's at the right hand of the Father and so forth. But the question would be, back to our text in Ephesians 1.10, has he united all things to him? And the answer would be no. And the reason I say no, so clear, in chapter, is in the book of Hebrews, it makes this clear in chapter 2 in 6 through 8, where the writer of Hebrews says, but now we do not see all things subject to him. So in the one sense, it's a reality in our heart. It's the already, but it's the not yet. It's fulfilled, but it awaits its consummation, if you will. You say, what's the problem now? Well, I don't have to tell you the problem now. The problem now, of course, is sin. The unity in the garden was broken by sin in the garden. When they sinned, it even separated God. When they sinned, it even separated, if you will, at that point, part of the angelic world. Sin separated God and man, Genesis 3. In Genesis 4, sin separated men from men. In Genesis chapter 10, sin separated nations from nations. In Genesis chapter 12, sin separated Jews and Gentiles. But what Paul's articulating here is he's proclaiming that the problem of sin and the problem of rebellion will one day be dealt and bring by God as he will act and bring under control, will unite all things in the person of Jesus Christ. You say, what do you mean all things? Well, look at the text again in verse 10. He will unite all things in him, and Paul, to capture that, says things in heaven and things on earth. He mentions in heaven and earth, and earth used throughout Ephesians. We'll see it as we go forward. There's two spheres, if you will, of domain. Ephesians all over speaks of our blessings being in the heavenlies and Paul being in the heavenlies in many places, but it also speaks about things on earth. Here's one of them in 1.10. In other words, created by Christ, held together by Christ, created by Christ, held together by Christ, will all day, one day be subject to Jesus Christ. I mean, beloved, at present, I don't need to tell you, there is discord, there is disunity. I went to a rally last night for Kevin Cookingham, and he said maybe in the history of the United States, this is one of the biggest elections we will ever have in this entire country. We are seen, and there is discord sown, excuse me, disunity seen in every dimension of life. 
We know that our world is anything but unified. In fact, beloved, it is evil. It is wicked. It is demonic. It is fallen. It is filled with hate. In fact, ever since Genesis chapter 3, our world is on a destruction course. It is filled with murder. It is filled with deception. It is filled with lies. It is filled with divorce. It is filled with suicide. It is filled with death. It is filled with miscarriage. We live, you know this, in a fallen and broken world. But oh, beloved, let me tell you that paradise lost in Adam will one day be restored in Jesus Christ. Amen. There is coming a day where Jesus Christ will conquer all evil powers and everything will be placed in subjection to Christ. So whereas you're subject to Christ in your heart to his reign and rule, the Bible speaks one day that he will come back as a conquering king on a white horse, if you will, with a sword there that he will pull out and he will judge, if you will, all the nations. What Paul is saying here is he not only gave you his redemption, he's given you his revelation. He's telling you at the end of the age that history itself belongs to Jesus Christ. Go tell that to our socialist Marxist universities across the United States. Listen, you are part of something that is so great, that is so grand, that is so glorious. He's revealed the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's put you in this place, in this local sphere to hear the unfolding drama of redemption that not only did he redeem you, but here he's revealing his plan to you. And all things one day will be harmonized under the lordship of Jesus Christ. All will be made whole in him. All things will be consummated under the flag and banner of the Lord Jesus Christ and his rule. So this mystery made known is present, yes. But its consummation is at the end of the age is what is in view here. The the mystery is present now, if you will, but it's not yet fully realized. The time of this gathering, I believe, beloved, will begin there in the eternal state. And when the completion of history comes, the kingdom of God arrives, eternity begins, and the new heaven and the new earth are established, and all things will be summed up in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. In other words, he will overrule every wicked, evil power, every power of political, you know, ingenious that man thinks he has. He will stay at the focal point of all history things. Let me just say that the focal point of all history is the person of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we like to say that uh, you've heard that statement that history is his story. God is going to unite all things in the person of Christ. Beloved, Jesus Christ is the goal of history. History finds its consummation in him. As I mentioned, paradise lost and Adam will be restored in Christ. Say, what will happen on that day? Well, you know the scripture of what will happen on that day. It says in Philippians chapter 2, at the name of Jesus, every knee will what? Bow. Listen, if you want me that not going to find it here, but I'm telling you there's a coming day that not just some knee, every knee will bow of those in heaven and those on the earth 
and those under the earth. In other words, all people will bow. Every demonic power will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord. I just want to encourage you today. Listen, we live in a tough day. I know that. Many of you have faced difficult circumstances. Many of you have levels with COVID. But listen, let me encourage you to put these levels with COVID. But listen, let me encourage you to put your hope in the uniting of all things in heaven and earth. The uniting, the summing up of all things in heaven and earth in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, there is coming a day where the entire universe will bow to his lordship. And let me just say to you, even this morning, wherever you may be, you better bow now because you will bow one day. You, you want to just say, bow, bow your knee. Don't be like me at 14 years of age who didn't want to bow because I wanted to live for myself and live for my idea. Oh, but the hound of heaven was after me and he convicted me of my... Oh, but the hound of heaven was after me and he convicted me of my sin. He drove me to my knees and I've never looked back, but you will either bow here or you'll bow later. In fact, all the angels, the fallen angels will bow. All the true angels will bow. They're bowing in Revelation 5. All the redeemed will bow. But listen, every rebel in this earth will bow. All the demonic influences will bow. That's what it says. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. So, beloved, there is a consummation of history. It is moving towards something. It is moving towards God's plan who's orchestrating every historical event to the summing up and the uniting of all things in Jesus Christ. And one day, according to Psalm chapter 2, Christ will gather the entire universe into this purpose. What a thrilling thought. I mean, at the present time, you know, and I'll say it again, the universe is corrupted. The universe is divided. That while churches can't meet, somehow it's okay for abortion doctors to go in and oh, I can't even speak of what they do. So let, listen, is he ruling in our heart? Yes. But Satan, according to the gospel of John, is the ruler of this, what? World. Most of what you see today is demonic oriented. Most of what you see is so counterculture to what I'm preaching that if I preach this at the university somewhere here in the United States, I'd probably be stoned. Here what it says in, in John is that he's the ruler of this world. But it says in John 1, 12, 31, excuse me, that one day he's going to be cast out. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 20 that Satan and his demons will be thrown into the pit during the millennium, released for a short while later, and then when all sin is the lake of fire for all eternity. And listen, when all sin has been removed, God is going to unite all things to himself. This is the, the inevitable goal of the universe. Listen, beloved, I just want you to think like this. This is what the text is saying, okay? This is the implication. God is organizing the entire universe. He is planning all events, both in heavens and in the realm on earth, around the person of Christ. And Christ is not only the agent by which God sums up and unites all things, he is also the focal point and consummation of all history. And God purposed this. From all eternity. It's his plan. I remember one time 
you remember that, that show, um, was it called Indiana Jones? And one time he was on the side of a hill and there was a bunch of destruction taking place and somebody who was next to him said, Indy, what are we going to do, you know? And he said, I don't know. I'm going to make it up as I go. Listen, I want you to know that your God has orchestrated all the events. Your God selected and elected you before the foundation of the world. Your God predestined you. Your God gave his only son who redeemed you through his blood. Your God granted you the forgiveness of all your sins. Your God is revealing this mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory on earth under the head of the Lord Jesus Christ. On earth under the head of of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, it says in Colossians 1.20 that he reconciles all things to himself. So beloved, history belongs to God. It doesn't belong to man. People are saying, well, I wonder what they're going to write in the history books right now. Listen, the only thing that's going to be in the history book at the end of the time, is the summing up and the uniting of all things in the person of Jesus Christ. So history belongs to God, not man. It doesn't belong to political systems. It doesn't belong to elections, though I think I and you should vote. History doesn't belong to Satan. All history is what it says in verse 10, in the person of Christ. In fact, let me show you in verse 10, in the person of Christ. In fact, let me show you, say, where, where else do you see that? You've seen that in other places. Look at 1 Corinthians just for a moment. 1 Corinthians, let me show you this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and you know that's the chapter on the resurrection. Yes, but it's, it's, it does us well to read that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23, but to each in his own order, those who belong to first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Wow. For he must reign, verse 25, until he has put all enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. And when all things are subjected to him, then the son will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God, I love that statement, may be all in all. Listen, the day's coming when he will cast out all evil, that he will cast out all unbelievers, that he will commit Satan and his demons to the pit of destruction, to never be left out, never to be let out, and we will reign forever with the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, look over to the book of Romans, will you? Romans speaks of this. Romans speaks of the already and the not yet. The already is that he redeemed us, but one day he's going to redeem our body. And so Paul says this in Romans 8, 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Speaking of the future, 
for the creation, and he just uses an illustration of the physical creation, waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. You say, am I, am I a son of God, a daughter of God? Yes, now, but there's a revealing. It says in verse 20, for the creation, here's the world in which we live in, was subjected to futility, not hope, that the creation, because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only, he says, the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In other words, everything for something greater than is longing for something greater than this life. And here, it's the redemption of our body where he'll give us a new body. He'll give us a, a new disposition that we will not be able to sin. You know, I called my friend here, one of our church members who's not been able to come for months. His name is Glenn Swanson. And I just checked in with Glenn. Glenn's got cancer in four different parts of his body. And he just, every time I call to encourage him, this week included, he just encourages me. He says, oh, I just can't wait to get home, Pastor Scott. I'm just waiting for probably what he means is this day. That, that day when he will take away all cancer, he will take away all night, he will take away all sorrow, Revelation 21, he will take away all pain, there will no longer be any night, there will no longer be any sorrow, there will no longer be any suffering, and in that day he will give you a new redeemed body and we will be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in that eternal state. So let me just say that history is not a meaningless succession of events. Let me just say that John Lennon and certainly Macbeth were dead wrong. You are part of the greatest organism, if you will, in the world. It's called the local church. It's called Christ in you. As I'm speaking of the universal church where he's placed Jew and Gentile. Speaking of the universal church where he's placed Jew and Gentile who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me say that the consummation of all history rests in the hands that were once nailed to the cross. Jesus, beloved, is the Alpha. Jesus is the Omega. Jesus is the First. Jesus is the last. He's the beginning. He's the end. All glory be to him. And all of this, you say, Scott, where, where does all of this bend back to? You're going to see we should be a people that are filled with hope of his glory. We should be a people that are filled with hope. We should be a people that are filled with a future. You know the end. You, you know how it began. You know the end. And listen, no matter what your discouragement may be today, no matter what your disappointment may be, no matter what your physical condition may be, I promise you that God through Christ is uniting and summing up all things in him. And so to the praise of God's glory.